Today we continue um, our sermon series on real family issues with family relationships. Uh, next week we will wrap this up with balance, um, another, uh, another really good topic that we as families um, wrestle with. But today, the idea is for us to look at our own families, the relationships in our families, to understand a bit about our family of origin and the family that it has become, and then to understand ourselves as a part of a much larger family with God as our Father. Um, and so when I thought about this thing, I, I thought, I remember when my first child was born back in 1986, my son Michael was born. And do any of you remember like baby books, <laughs> right? So, um, you know, my first child, I kept it meticulously. It, it is really a work of art. You know, two and a half years later, Laura was born. Meh, threw a few things in there, um, you know, but I get that. I'm a second child. I just did what my mom did, so I can blame it on her. But in Michael's baby book, one of the pages was a family tree. And so I looked at that, and, and you, know, you know what those look like, those cute little diagrams. So you have the mom and you have the dad of the baby, and then you have the mom's maternal and paternal grandparents, and you have the dad's maternal and paternal grandparents. That was as high as mine went anyway. And then you've got the little family tree. And, and even way back in 86, for me, that little family tree was problematic because the diagram didn't have space for my actual tree that I had lived with. So the reason is that when I was nine years old, my parents divorced, my mom remarried. And this man that she married raised me like I was his own. He walked me down the aisle at my wedding. We were, we were close. We were family. But there wasn't a spot for him on this family tree. Um, and I honestly felt a little bit disloyal to him when I put my dad's name up there. And I think I even drew a line and put, put my stepdad's name up there somewhere. But, but, you know, very few of us are blessed to have families that fit nicely on one of those cute trees, Right? Um, all too often, you know, we're we are a series of relationships that, that get a little messed up along the way and don't fit all that linearly. Linearly. Okay, you know what I mean. Um, honestly, I think for many of us, our family tree looks a little bit more like the banyan tree. So... So the banyan tree, it is, it is, a, it is actually an Indian fig tree, um, and it is a, has the way it makes its roots is it sends down shoots right from the branches. They become roots, more branches and more trees. It's a system of trees, and that honestly I think better represents when you look at family trees because families, our, our families look really interesting. We have birth parents raising children. We have grandparents raising grandchildren. We have folks who become foster parents and who raise children for a season. We have adoptive parents. We have relationships. We have single parents. We, we have so many different ways that we do family. And that's just our family. That's before we count our brothers and sisters and parents and what our kids do. And you begin to see how complex our family trees really begin to look. They really are much more of a system. And, and there is, you know, instead of a, a diagram showing family trees, um, mostly therapists use this, but there are things called genograms. And so genograms are those family trees that have a space for you to also track 
your family's stories. They're helpful when you're doing, when you're trying to figure out um, <laughs> how you became like you are um, or how your significant other became like they are and you're looking at their genogram because genograms help trace stories through families. And with genograms, as you go backwards, sometimes people who do genealogy also do genograms because you follow the stories. And it's interesting. It's like, oh, you know, uncle so-and-so did the same thing that my brother did or this seems to be a repetitive pattern that seems to happen every generation or every other generation. And genograms sort of help you sort of begin to get a sense of your fuller family story. Because friends, we are all a product of our family of origin. And when we think about our family system, um, whatever those roles that we may have played in our family of origin. So maybe you're the baby of the family. Maybe you're the responsible one in your family. Maybe you're the perpetual victim, or maybe you're always the angry one, or maybe you're the fixer, right? Those roles that we grow up in, they tend to repeat themselves when we find ourselves in other systems. So whether that system is next, your next family that you're a part of, whether your system is your group of friends, whether your system is your church, <laughs> those behaviors tend to get acted out on. I mean, you think about, you look around this room and you think of all the families, each of which look about like that, coming together, forming a family that is a church family. We all bring all of who we are and who we've become to then begin to try to sort it out, even in a church. And you can begin to see um, how systems are, are a good way to describe how we interact with each other in close relationships. We are all a product of our family of origin. Um, and, and there are different stages that families normally would go through. Um, and again, the way the illustrations are, they always seem to be sort of linear. And you and I both know that not everything is linear. <laughs> But that's the way this illustration is. And so that's the pattern that I'm going to follow as we begin to try to understand the concept of, of the differences in, in the ways our families play out over the course of our lives. Because you see, there are no perfect families. Um, and every single stage of our family um, has particular joys and particular stressors. You'll see what I mean. So we'll start with when we ourselves launched from our family of origin, right? We moved out into the world as a single person. Um, we are then a family of one, you might say, and, and, and the, our tasks are different. There is some real beauty to that. We get to make independent decisions about what we want. You know, we are still figuring out maybe who we are. Um, and, and we get adjusted to a, really a family of one and get accustomed to looking out for that. Frequently, there comes a point in our lives where we form a partnership with someone else uh, that we couple. And that then brings its own sense of joy and its own struggles that have to be adjusted to, right? Because the joy is that we now get to spend our time with another person and share our life with another person. And the struggle is, is that we now get to live our life with another person and share our life with another person, right? There, you, you learn about what it is to then have to compromise and to, and to do those things that you need to be able to do to be a strong partnership, a strong couple. 
For many of us, again, I recognize this is not linear and not everyone's experience, but then there comes a time perhaps when there are young children, when you find yourself as parents of little ones. And oh my gosh, does that bring a beautiful joy to your life to see this this human creature um, that you've uh, conceived or you've adopted and you've expanded your family and you now have more. And, and infants are a special source of joy. They're endlessly entertaining. Um, and, and yet, families that have small children, you don't sleep much, right? <laughs> um, there are special little stressors um, because you've got these creatures that you are now accountable for, and, and they are unpredictable, and they do all manner of things to try to injure themselves, and it's your job to try to, you know, mediate that. And they get sick, and you don't know why, um, and they tell you no, and you put them in time out. There's all kinds of little stressors um, and joys that go with being a, a family with small children. Um, the things that work in one stage of a family, friends, they don't work as you move to another stage. What worked when you're single doesn't work all the time when you're a couple. And what works when you're a couple may not work when you have small children. And certainly the next stage doesn't work if you stay with only the behaviors when you had small children. Because those of you who are still going through that blessed state of having small children in your home... They grow up to be adolescents. I'm just saying. <laughs> they grow up to be adolescents. The next source of great and amazing joy and um, a time of struggle because it needs to be. Let me just say that that is natural. Their job as adolescents is to begin to figure out how to break apart from the family. Not at that moment. But right, they need to become more independent in their decision-making. We try to provide some sort of a safety net while they're off trying to do that um, and help them to survive their adolescence and move into early adulthood. It is a time of great joy as you see the, the person that your child or your children are becoming. And you can really begin to, to see some real strengths of character that they have. It is a great source of joy. It is also... It, you know, uh, an interesting time of some struggles. Um, when I was a parent of two adolescents and on staff of a church, I had two different other parents of adolescents that each brought me a different plaque. So one of them was probably a little harsh. It said, um, parents of teenagers understand why some species eat their young. <laughs> the other one said... Parenting a teenager is like being pecked to death by ducks. <laughs> Those were so descriptive of, of my time as parent of teenagers. It is, it is a lovely time. It is a stressful time. Um, and what worked for you as a parent of a toddler, friends, it doesn't work as a parent of a teenager. We have new skills to learn. Often during those times, the parents are kind of in mid-career or moving into a different place in their career. They're, you're, you're dealing with a lot of other kinds of things as well. Following that, again, in this little sort of linear model, comes that time that we call empty nesting. You know, when, um, when, when your young adults then move out of the house, um, and then, then I know, yeah, sometimes move back into the house and move back out of the house and into the house. I've, I know, I've been there. Um, but when you have this time of empty nesting, right? And so there's, 
adjustments to be made. It can be a beautiful time in that suddenly where your family has expanded, now it's contracted again. Um, Often for parents of adolescents, what you find is that you spend most of your time communicating with each other about your children. Who's going to take them where, what they've done, how are they doing in school, you know, what's going to happen here. Um, and so it, is, it can be a stressful time as well as a blessed time when that's not the focus of all your conversations anymore. And you sort of have to once again rediscover how it is to communicate with each other, how to be a family in a different way. Um, and it's a challenge and it's a blessing. Then there comes that time on this, again, really linear model um, that I know we don't all live out to a retirement age or, and beyond. Uh, a time when you, you know, where maybe what you've done in your professional life you stopped doing, that you then have to, to learn once again how to be who you are at that stage, how to be that family. Often during that time, um, first of all, folks that are retired often look back on their working years and go, I have no idea how I ever had time to work <laughs> because I'm so busy in retirement. Um, I don't know how I did that. <clears throat> you may during that time deal with the death of a spouse, with the death of parents, if you haven't already dealt with that. There are other kinds of stages that are happening during those times. All this is to say, if you feel like your family is less than perfect or it is stressful as well as being joyful, friends, you're not alone. Those are the way that families ebb and flow and go through wonderful times and go through difficult times. That is what it means to be a family. You don't have to look any further than Scripture to see how families are less than perfect and yet can still be used by God. If you haven't read the book of Genesis lately, I really commend that to you because that's you're going to find some amazing stories of family that I promise will make you feel so much better about your own family. So if you start in about Genesis 16 with the story of Abraham and Sarah, you know, we say Father Abraham because the, you know, Christianity got grafted into the Jewish faith and, and Abraham is like where it started. And, and Abraham, you may or may not know that his wife was really old. They hadn't had any children. God had promised him this great heritage. And so Sarah, and this was okay in those days, not okay anymore, just saying. It was okay in those days that Sarah gave her maid, her servant, her slave to her husband, Abraham, for her to conceive a child with her husband that then would belong to Sarah and would raise Uh, the child in that way. And that would be the child of blessing, except that God said, uh, after that was done and Ishmael was born, God said, no, no, (laughs) the blessing is going to come through a child you're going to conceive and have with Sarah. And sure enough, Sarah in her very, very uh, older years has a child um, who is named Isaac. And so you think about a dysfunctional families, right? So you've got now two sons of the promise, one of which ends up getting sent away with his mother. Now, that was a painful time, but I want you to know that both uh, big faiths, the Jewish faith and the Muslim faith, um, Islam, trace their roots to Father Abraham. But one does it through Ishmael and one does it through Isaac. So think about how that family and what happened in that family of origin, it has affected Uh, lives for centuries, for millennia, Um, and yet 
God can continue to work through that. You read on in Genesis, and then you get to Isaac, um, and um, Isaac marries his love, Rebecca. And they have a set of bouncing boy twins, Esau and Jacob. And we're told very quickly in Genesis that Isaac favored Esau and Rebekah favored Jacob. That's just never a good thing. This whole sense of parental preference of one child or another, and you watch through that and how that set up a lifetime of sibling rivalry and the ins and the outs of that relationship um, with, with parental favoritism and with some conniving on the part as well of Jacob. But there were those family dynamics. Jacob, when he went away to go get a wife, he finds and falls in love with the beautiful Rachel. And on his wedding night, his father-in-law, oops, substitutes Leah for Rachel. And so he marries the wrong woman. And so then he decides he's going to marry Rachel too. One man married to two sisters. What could go wrong? <laughs> they then begin the race of having children. And by the way, they also bring their handmaidens into this as well. So you've got all these children being born, all the sons of Jacob. Um, and you read those stories and you see how really dysfunctional a family can be. And I promise you will feel better about your family and your family of origin if you read that. One of the things that Leanne said to the children when she read the poem about selling your sister, we would never do that. Well, except that one of Jacob's sons, Joseph, when he was an arrogant 17-year-old, um, he got his brothers so angry with him, they did sell him. Off he went to Egypt. Um, and, and so there's that family dysfunction. And yet, friends, God continued to use these way less than perfect families to accomplish God's will. That should give you hope. If you feel like you have a way less than perfect family, that doesn't change God's love, and it doesn't change God's ability to help work through things with your family. Then we get into the Gospels, to the Gospel of Luke in chapter 18, verses 19 through 21. And we have Jesus in his public ministry, and the room is hugely crowded. And his mother and his brothers are trying to get in to see Jesus, and they can't because of the crowd. And so somebody comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are trying to get in to see you. And Jesus says, who are my mother and my brothers and my sisters? You are my mother and my brother and my sisters. You who hear my word and do it, you're my mother, brother, and sisters. He expanded his own sense of family to include those who would follow him, to include you and I, that we are part of this bigger family with Jesus as our brother. Then we move to the scripture of today. For Ephesians, when Paul writes that every family on heaven and on earth takes its name from God our heavenly Father, Friends, the human family is tremendously large. 
And so no matter what, what you inherited from your family of origin, if it's the eyes or the ears or the hair, uh, whether it's the temper or whether it's a mental illness or addiction or really positive things, we are part of a family with God as the Father. And when we turn to that Father and live out our lives as that family, there can be nothing greater than to have people see the family resemblance between us and our Heavenly Father. Let us pray. Gracious God, Lord, as we live into our identity, not only of our family of origin or the family that we have today, as we live into our identity as your children, may indeed we resemble you so closely that people see characteristics of you and us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.